Amen. If you need a Bible, raise your hand and Steve will get you one. Yes, raise them high. If you haven't seen Abby, she's back from Cambodia. Give her a big hug in Montana. We're happy that she's back. And uh, what a blessing, these young people out on the field. Pray, continue to pray for Andrew and Tanya. They need a visa to get here for uh, a little break with their ministry. And Jonathan, Rebecca, Verms as well. Continue to lift him up. Ken Meyer. Excited for these serving the Lord. So 1 Timothy chapter 6 this morning. 1 Timothy chapter 6. We've come to the end of this little book. We've been here for a long time. <laughs> Paul writing to Timothy, to the church how the church should function, has talked about many things in this little epistle for the church in Ephesus, for the pastor leader, Timothy. He's talked about roles, he's talked about doctrine, he's talked about relationships, he's talked about leadership and qualities of leadership. So he's talked about a lot of things, but the one thing he hasn't talked about, which is really important in the life of the church and in our life, he hasn't quite talked about money and resources and materials. And so he's going to give them a little bit of a lesson that we need, as I prayed, to be reminded of continually. He starts, or I'll start, in verse 3 and read through by saying in 1 Timothy chapter 6, if anyone teaches otherwise, so referring to the people in the book, false prophets, or those Timothy was battling with, do not consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which accords with godliness. He is proud, knowing nothing, but is obsessed with disputes and arguments. He's speaking of the false prophets here. Ever words from which come envy, strife, riling, evil suspicions, useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. From such withdraw yourself. So here clearly Paul is saying of these who are speaking heresy or false words to get away, but rather Timothy should speak of teaching which is in accord with godliness. So he goes on to say, now godliness in verse 6 with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing we shall be content with these. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a, not the, a root of all kinds of evil from which in some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Verse 11, but you, O man of God, I will add woman to flee these things and pursue righteousness 
godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life, to which you were called to have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I urge you in the sight of God who gives life to all things and before Christ Jesus, who witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate, that you keep this commandment without spot, blameless, until our Lord Jesus Christ appearing, which he will manifest in his own time, he who is blessed and only potent, King of kings and Lord of lords, he who alone has immortality dwelling in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to whom be honor and everlasting power. Amen. Verse 17, command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. Verse 20, O Timothy Guard what was committed to your trust, avoiding the profane and idle babblings and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. By professing it, some have strayed concerning the faith. Grace be with you. Amen. In your Bibles, if you will turn with me as well to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 16. I want to read a little parable at the beginning before we even start of 1 Timothy, chapter 6. Maybe a parable you've always wondered about. Jesus speaking, he said to his disciples, Luke chapter 16, there was a certain rich man who had a steward. An accusation was brought to him that this man was wasting his goods. So he called him and said to him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account to your stewardship, for you can no longer be a steward. Then the steward said within himself, what shall I do? For my master is taking the stewardship away from me. I cannot dig. I'm ashamed to beg. I have resolved what to do, that when I am put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. So he called every one of his master's debtors to him and said to the first, how much do you owe my master? And he said, a hundred measures of oil. So he said to him, take your bill, sit down quickly, write 50. Then he said to another, how much do you owe? So he said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill, write it to be 80. So the master commanded the unjust steward, commended the unjust steward because he had dealt shrewdly. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous men, and that when you fail, they may receive you into an everlasting home. He was faithful in what is least is faithful in also in much, and he was unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous manna, manna who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and 
mammon. My whole life I've actually wondered about that parable because why is God commending this silly behavior? But we'll save the answer till the end. This chapter really isn't about money if you're wondering. I just want to make that clear off the bat. This chapter at the end of the book, Paul speaking to Timothy, is about living for eternity or living for this world. I believe the key verse is in verse 12, to fight the good fight of faith and to lay hold on eternal life. If you're wondering, it is a fight. There is an oppressive spirit of, spirit of materialism, greediness, not having enough, fear in regards to what we have. It's a fight of faith for sure because to lay hold of eternal life, we are believing in something we cannot see. Do you understand that? We know God has said there is eternity and we're to lay up our treasure in eternity, but it's so difficult because it doesn't pay the bills. And for us to believe that there's something more, we have to have faith. And it's hard. Actually, Paul calls us to, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, to walk by faith, not by sight. And in a chapter earlier, in chapter 4, verse 18, Paul would say to the Corinthians, we do not look at things which are seen, but at the things which are unseen. The things that are seen are temporary, but the things which are unseen are eternal. You see, I really believe our battle is a battle of faith, but the problem is when we live for here and now, we're not building our treasure in eternity. All the media, all the books, or the majority of them would tell us, maybe it'd be happier if you had a little bit more. And we say we don't covet, or we don't desire to be rich, or we're not worried about the riches we do have. But if we're truly honest with one another, we probably spend way too much wor time worrying about what we have, or what we don't have, or what we should have. This is the fight. I have no problem in saying this, that each of you are in a battle. And no one is exempt in this room. Beware you stand, lest you fall. The moment you can say you have it under control, you better watch out. I started marking up my Bible. Caleb, he's into inductive Bible study. and He keeps telling me I should know the chapter before I teach it. Uh, I've actually taught this chapter, I think, four or five times, but just to make him happy in what he's encouraging me in, I read it many times, and I got my little colored pencils out again. I used to do that, and I look for keywords, you know, and you go through the process, every verse. And there are a couple things I do want you to note, and I'm going to share, is that the word godliness is actually mentioned four times in this chapter. I have it in orange pencil crayon, but you can see it in your own Bible if you want to underline it, but it's in verse 3, verse 5, 
verse 6, and verse 11. The other phrase that's mentioned twice, which I tried to emphasize when I read, is in verse 12 and verse 19, where it says to lay hold on eternal life. In regards in our journey to fighting, to live for the unseen or for the seen, there's some things that I saw with the word godliness. And I just wanted to point them out as I look through this chapter. As he begins and he talks about what true teaching is and what the false prophets in verse 3 are teaching, he says true teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ is to the doctrine which is in accord with godliness. And I thought of that in terms of eternity and this world. We need to know that the Bible would ask us to be godly, not only for now, but for later. There is an argument that would say, well, I'm only here for a short time. I'm going to experience as much as I can. Or that the pleasure of sins that make me happy, I want to experience now. That's a lie from the devil. I want you to know. If you're living for here and now to satisfy yourself, you're going to give in to sin, and that's not what God has for you. I want you to understand that good teaching always leads you to the truth that God is righteousness, Jesus Christ is righteousness, Jesus lives in you, thus you being righteous, and your journey is becoming what you are. So if you say, well, it doesn't matter if I'm godly or not, I want to live for here and now for this world and everything that's offered for me and not withhold from that sin knowing that there's eternal life. I want to tell you, you're living false doctrine. There is no excuse for sin. But we are called to godliness and I think sometimes in this fight for eternity or this world, we give in a little bit and we say, I need to satisfy myself now. Every commercial I see is almost like, you deserve it, right? Even your sexuality, you are who you are and you deserve it now. Well, that's not true. You are God's and God lives in you, right? And he is calling you to be what he's made you and that is righteous and godly. The world is mistaken. It's not about us finding joy in sin. Now. And oftentimes, we don't recognize that. But your home is not here. And your true joy is not here. It is with Christ. And we should be living for eternity. As he moves on, he says this then in verse 5. These men, they have useless wranglings, corrupt minds, destitute of the truth. And they suppose that godliness is a means for gain. I would say even within the church, another thought in terms of living for eternity or living for now is this, that some people say, if you come to Christ, your life's going to be great. And everything's going to be perfect. And if you become godly, you're just going to gain everything you need. Okay. 
Is anyone by experience going to say, well, <laughs> it doesn't seem to be going that way right now. This lie that if I become godly or I accept Christ, meaning that I'm going to gain and not experience hard times is false doctrine. And I want to tell you that this is heresy that's running rampant in Christian circles. That you'll be rich if you become a Christian. That if you want something, you just have to ask for something. And you will experience no tribulation. And your life will be one of ease. And if it's not, you're just not godly enough. And then when things don't go your way, what do you think? I'm the worst Christian ever. <laughs> you see, the problem with that whole doctrine, it's about here and now and me gaining now. When Christ would say, we're to build our treasure in eternity. And sometimes we have to go through difficult times now because we're building to be with him forever. The problem is, when that doctrine would say to us, you can have anything you want now, it's not true. We're not living for eternity. We're living for here and now. And I guess I'm going to mention more and more, I guess my question for myself and everyone here today is, where is our heart? Is it to live for ourselves and to gain today? Or is it to live for Christ to gain for eternity? It's interesting because the next word godliness says this. Now godliness with contentment is great gain. To do the right thing and to be happy in it or content, which not necessarily an emotion, it's a deep-seated joy and peace that it's okay no matter what I do, that's how we're called to live. This spring, I'm getting sick of chores. I said, why do I own a house? I'm just getting right sick and tired of this. Every year, got to do this, got to do that. And for me, my workforce is going out the door. <laughs> so it just means more work for me. So I had a good friend, my friend Robert dropped off some wood. It hadn't been stacked in a week and a half or two weeks, and I kept looking at the pile, hoping it would disappear. It wasn't disappearing. When I was tired, blame myself, I watched the Raptors, but anyways. And I prepared my sermon, and I looked at that pile, and I just thought, well, Gabe had, he'd done his chore, he'd been out there for an hour, and I kept looking at it, hoping he would stay for two hours, but... He had homework, I understand. And you know, I did the rest of that pile, and I can tell you, I know it was the godly thing to do, but I didn't have the contentment. And I know it's a silly story. And Dan, you're such a loser. Like, come on. It was just four hours. Like, I was going pretty slow, by the way. Um, <laughs> and God reminded me, are you happy, content, doing something, that you know you're supposed to do, but you don't like. Sometimes we think contentment is getting what we want, getting the things we want, having enough money, having the right car, 
having our wife or husband tell us all the great things about us. Sometimes we think contentment is in the external present world. But true contentment only comes by knowing you're loved by Jesus Christ and living in that love. And so this morning, if you're upset with your kids or your friends or your spouse, and you think your contentment's going to come if things change, I've got news for you. It will not. Your contentment is only going to come from the truth of who Jesus Christ is and his love for you and your love for him. Because in his presence is the fullness of joy. Not in a woodpile stacked or unstacked. And it's, a, and it's a bad example, but so often we think, only if I have this, only if I had that, only and unfortunately in our world, because we live in a materialistic world that we live in, in North America, we think, only if I had that house, that car, that extra money, that other job, more friends, better spouse. No. Doing the right thing with joy as being with him is what God wants for us. It's not going to the mall. Have you ever bought something or been given something and you saved so much and you had this euphoria, this joy in getting it? I read a book recently and the author said it was sneakers and I can remember the same thing. I love shoes to play sports in, not other shoes because I think they're going to make me a better player or something. I don't know. And I'd wait and wait, and then you'd get the shoes, and you'd save. And even as a kid, I used to cut lawns, and I'd get $10 every lawn. And I waited the whole summer to buy a baseball glove. I'll never forget it. And you know when I got that baseball glove? I'd rub that glove down, and I'd like put it in the oven to form it, to shape it. It'd get loose, and I played a couple years, three years. I loved that. That glove, I loved that glove so much. And I was joyful for a short time. Can I tell you, I don't know where that glove is. I have no idea, probably five years after, where that glove went. Or with the shoes I got, they all of a sudden get holes or worn. And I wasn't cleaning them. I wasn't putting them back in the box, even as that author said. They became meaningless to me. But at the time, I really felt and for a moment, they brought me joy. Only if I had these Nike Airs. And then when I got them, and waxed them, and shined them, and even when I played basketball in them, put them back in their little home, right? They went in the garbage. They went to the Salvation Army. What is it for you that you think will bring you contentment? And it's not only things, it's people. And the chapter here is about eternity because if we think the physical, worldly will bring us continual contentment, you are mistaken. It's not your dream home. It's not your dream job. It's not the restaurant. It's only Jesus Christ and his love and living in it that will give you joy. It's a fight. Because we live in lies. Again, lie after lie after lie that you have to face each and every day from the world around you. No. It's godliness with contentment. And he goes on even with that to say, you know, if you desire to be rich, 
thinking that will bring you contentment, you fall into a temptation, a snare, into foolish and harmful lusts. And obviously the verse we all know, for the love of money, it's not money, it's the love of money. And it's not even money, it's my heart that's the problem because money brings me what I want and comfort and security. But that is a root of all sorts of evil. It can be relationship for the love of sexuality or relationships is a root. It can be, it's money, it's anything. Anything that takes precedence over Jesus Christ that you think will bring you contentment, it's not going to work. And unfortunately, some of us stray from the faith because we're greedy. And we pierce us, ourselves through with many, many sorrows. But what should happen? We should focus on the internal, which leads to the e eternal. What should we pursue? Well, we should flee from the things of this world that would bring us contentment and pursue righteousness. And here's that word for the fourth time in verse 11. Godliness. Faith, love, patience, gentleness. We should focus on Jesus. He is our righteousness. We should focus on Jesus. He is the one who makes us godly. We should focus on Jesus because our faith in him will change our life. We should focus on Jesus because he is love, and when we experience his love, we're changed. We should focus on patience because he is patient, and he's calling us to be patient and to be gentle like he is gentle. We're to pursue the things that would change us on the inside, that would allow us to lay treasure in eternity and not the external things which only last for a moment. Godliness. There's a lot of heresy in the Bible, in our world. But the truth is, we need to fight the good fight of faith and lay hold of eternal life. Are you building your treasure in eternity? I often thought to myself, well, how do I lay hold of eternity? How do I do that? And I think that's answered in verse 17, because I believe we're all rich in North America in a way. If you think you're poor because you're comparing yourself, well, two-thirds of the world doesn't have what you have. So in this present age, truly, we are rich, but we're not to be haughty or trust in that. But we're supposed to live for God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. But we're to do good. To be rich in good works. Ready to give. Willing to share. Storing up for ourselves a good foundation for the time to come. That we may lay hold of eternal life. Every time I read a chapter like this, I have to check my heart first. And God says, how are you doing in giving? I've given you so much. When I was young, I was more zealous. I was crazy. And I don't say this to bring glory to myself or anything. I remember married. I was married and I felt God say to me, I want you to give half of every financial gift you receive on your wedding day. I want you to give it away. And I said, well, no way. 
But I thought I better ask my bride-to-be about that. Because 50% is a lot, and I thought to myself, well, if I say to her, I think God's asking us to tithe our wedding gift, she's going to say 10, and if she says 10 and I think 50, then it's not God, because we're not in agreement. And I remember saying to Amy one day before we were married, ah, I kind of feel like God's asking us to give something a little bit when people give us money. What do you think would be a percentage to tithe on our wedding gifts? Without blinking, she kept walking forward and she said, oh, 50%. I was so zealous in wanting to do that, but as the years have progressed, it seems my hands have got a little tighter on the things that I need and want. It seems like the things that God gives me and the riches he gives me, it's a little harder to pry my stubby fingers off of them. It seems like there's this desire to be comfortable the older I get. And every time I read a section like this, it's almost God examine my heart. And every time I hear this little voice, you think you're a giver, let's do a little more. And here's why I think this and why I think giving's important and in this section it's important because it's a discipline to show us it's not about the here and now. Giving, we don't give because God needs our money. How arrogant would we be to think that? The one who created the universe and has all, well, God needs my tithe or my money this week because if not, Northgate or the kingdom of God will shut down. God doesn't need your money. We started this church with nothing, and God is the one who sustains it. And I will tell you honestly, there are times that God gives us gifts from sources that don't even attend church here when we need the resources. So when we've had trouble giving, he just provided it from somewhere else. Why does he ask us to give? Because it's a discipline to show us it's not about what I have here or now, and can you give me that? Because it's not about that, and it's not about here and now, and if you can focus on that discipline, you can understand it's not about what I have, and if God asks me for it, I can give it to him. I heard a story once of the pastor who said, do you know that there are people, we don't even take an offering here, but when they do pass the offering plate, they'll put an envelope in, but there'll be nothing in it. One pastor told me he saw a husband put in a 50 and the wife took out 20. Even at Northgate once, I had someone in the offering box saying he was making change. God wants to change our heart. And I think this giving business, because we all are rich, is about understanding the discipline that it's not about here and now. And God, if I have it and you want it and it's precious to me, I want to have loose fingers on what you've given me because it's all yours. And the reality is I'm not living for here or now. I'm living for eternity. And I desire to build my treasure there where moth and rust will not destroy. You know, Jesus said that. How much have you invested 
in your eternal future. Paul says it's clear, you, you came in with nothing, you're leaving with nothing. So all your investments there, they're like, they'll be waiting for you. By the way, I don't think it's just money or resources. I think it's your time. I think it's relationships. So often we're chasing after the things we want and we're so busy getting what we want or caring for the things we have. We have no time to build into relationships and relationships carry through eternity. There's only three things that carry through eternity. It's God, his word, and people. So if you want to have an investment into eternity, would you invest in God, his word, and people? And there's nothing wrong with having. It says it's okay. He says, if you're rich, that's great. Just be a channel for God's glory. And maybe you're comfortable with your giving, but I will tell you this. In my life, God wants to make me uncomfortable. So I know it's all about him and living for him. Hey, maybe you're comfortable with whatever you give, your 5, 10, 15%, whatever God's put on your heart. But I would challenge you, make yourself a little uncomfortable to understand it's not, it is not about here. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Think about that. Jesus said that. Think about what he says, where your treasure is. What do you value most? That's where your heart is. What brings you joy? And there's a lot of things that are supposed to bring us joy because he's given us all things to enjoy. But if it's in the temporal, earthly, I just want to encourage you. It means nothing in eternity. I will tell you this, this world, your life in this world, time-wise, is nothing to the next. What do you got, 70, 80? If you're really healthy, 90. Eternity is forever and ever and ever. The best investment plan is one for eternity. So back to our parable, Luke 16. Why is Jesus commending this foolish shrewd? You know, the lesson is clear, and I never saw it till this week. He knew his time would be up in his current position. So what did he do? He prepared for the future. So basically, what Jesus is saying is he did things to prepare himself for his future. What are you doing to prepare yourself for your ultimate future in eternity? That's the lesson. And at the end, you can't serve mammon and God. 
And though he did some silly things, he was from the world. But God says, if they can do that and they're wicked, what about us who are sons and daughters of the light? You know it's coming to an end. You know your position is finishing here on earth at some time. What kind of deals are you making with your generous heart to build your treasure in eternity? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for speaking to us today. Thank you, Paul, Holy Spirit, through Paul, to teach us to fight the good fight of faith and to lay hold of eternal life. Folks, it's not about what you see. It's about what you do not see. And this is the lesson of my life. God has never, ever failed to give it back so I can give more. Did you hear me? Paul said, I've learned whether I abound or abase that my contentment is Christ. And I will tell you there are times in my life where I've had less or more just like your life, but God has always been faithful. And so when he acts and works in a way when we're generous, he gets the glory, and we're allowed to build treasure in eternity. Man, we need help of the Holy Spirit. This is a fight. But Jesus lives in us, and we can win. Amen? You are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. So thank you, Lord, for your grace and your goodness this day. Would you teach us every day by the power of your Holy Spirit to live a godly life, to be content in what you have given us, to lay hold of eternal life, to build our treasure there. Lord, you have given us all things to enjoy. You've given us good things. We are such a blessed people. I think of my life. You've given us so much. And we give you praise and thanks because you are the giver of all good gifts. But Lord, may we all, myself included, at the top of the list, be channels of your blessing for your glory. Lord, we don't want to seek things that aren't of you. We don't want to seek comfort or contentment that is fleeting or passing. Lord, I see in this world how money controls everything. It's why countries go to war. It's why people fight. That's why we worry. But God, may we be different. Holy Spirit, would you show us now that we are loved, that we can love you back, and that our true joy comes from you. And when we love someone because we're loved, we can give anything because it means nothing to the love we feel. May our treasure, may our heart 
be in Jesus Christ this morning. The elements are in the back. We're going to be reminded of the love of Christ, His body and His blood. We're going to worship Him and be in His presence. Well, this morning, just examine your heart. Know that the Lord loves you. He forgives me. He forgives you. And he calls us to live godly lives, living in him. You're forgiven. I'm forgiven. That's the joy of this moment because of Jesus. We to worship him and give him thanks this morning. Randy's going to sing. The elements are in the back. Let's enjoy this being in his presence for his glory. Amen.